Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Hello and welcome. In a world where technology is exploding all around us and new inventions occur every day, we sometimes forget that some of the best technologies available to mankind are the ancient technologies that have proven themselves across millennia. And one of these technologies is the use of compost as a soil amendment. It's harder to imagine a greener, more climate-smart soil amendment than compost, because not only is compost removing solid waste, either from your farm or from the surrounding community, but it's also adding nutrients to your soil and reducing the need for chemical fertilizers that require much more energy to produce. A well-made living compost could be one of the best things you can apply to your soil. Compost increases the soil water holding capacity, and this is so important in heavily farmed lands, and particularly in lands in more arid and semi-arid regions where water can be the limiting factor to your production. Compost can increase the soil organic matter levels. It decreases the soil bulk density, and it adds soil microbes that cycle nutrients and support the growth of healthy plants. Compost contains nutrients, and it can even help us with sequestering greenhouse gases that might otherwise be emitted from the soil as part of your farming operation because microbes in the compost will start capturing those greenhouse gas molecules and utilizing them as nutrients for growth. Now, if you have tried adding compost and you've been disappointed with the results, keep in mind that not all composts are well made. Composts that smell bad, composts that attract insects, and composts that lack diverse communities of microorganisms are not going to add the same benefit to your soil that a well-made compost will contribute. And while food safety regulations have already addressed factors that reduce the risk of introducing pathogenic bacteria to your soil, new interest in greenhouse gas emissions is raising a question about whether or not to use compost in your fields because farmers who are hoping to obtain carbon credits may see compost as a positive addition, but depending on the quality of the compost that you're using, you may or may not get the greenhouse gas sequestration or drawdown that you're hoping to obtain. And this is because in many cases, we have optimized composting procedures and protocols to eliminate biology in order to reduce the risk of pathogens. But a lot of times, some of those microorganisms are what is necessary to capture the carbon emissions that might be coming either from the compost or from your soil. Frankly, while there's some research that has been done on this, there are still questions remaining about how best to use compost to assist in carbon drawdown. 
The good news is that most of these questions lie in the areas of how best to produce compost to optimize that greenhouse gas sequestration. Once the compost is produced and put on your field, the odds are good that it's going to benefit your soil health. The only questions that would remain is which source of compost might do a better job of helping your soil health because not all composts are the same. Commercial composting facilities are heavily regulated to ensure that they are not creating environmental problems in terms of disease, but as I said earlier, these may not be regulated well to reduce greenhouse gas emissions coming from the facility. And there is a lot of active research today that is focused on how to improve these composting practices to optimize carbon drawdown or greenhouse gas sequestration. However, compost does not have to come from a commercial facility, and many of you already may be involved in making compost at home. If you're making your own compost, you probably already know that recipes for making a good compost are not real different from recipes for cooking a good meal in that every chef has their own idea of what makes something the best. And so there are a lot of recipes out there, whether it's for making the best barbecue ribs or making the best compost. Some of this variation is sensible in that each of us has access to different feedstocks for making compost. And it really doesn't make sense to travel halfway across the state in order to get a certain plant material that you think is going to be good for your compost. You want to start with the materials you have readily available to you. While the jury's still out on the best way to make compost in order to sequester greenhouse gases, I think most experts would agree that probably the principles for good greenhouse gas sequestration are going to be very similar to the principles for making compost that is most likely to improve your soil health. And so I think if we focus on those today, I can leave you with some principles that you can use to adapt recipes and materials to what's available in your backyard, in your farm, in your garden to produce outstanding compost that replaces the need for many of your chemical amendments and helps you grow a healthy organic crop. So there are really four or five principles you want to focus on. And the first one is to utilize complex organic material as your feedstock. Think of whole foods or whole food residues, wastes, if you will. Leafs, grass clippings, fine sawdust, manure. All of these are complex sources of organic matter that are great to use in compost. From time to time, you will hear people advocate adding rock dusts or sands or clays to your compost. The purpose of these additions is really to replace any mineral nutrients that may be absent from your organic matter. And so the need for these materials really depends on the quality of the organic matter you're starting with. For example, here in the Southwest, plant materials are often somewhat deficient in copper, zinc, iron, and other elements that that become scarce when the pH is high in your soil. So adding trace amounts of these minerals to your compost may have some benefits, 
But for the most part, you can assume that if your crop residues were coming from healthy plants, they are going to contain the mineral nutrients they need to build a healthy compost. I've personally had a lot of success making composts without adding mineral nutrients. And I believe this is because I started with organic material that already had sufficient nutrition. I use a lot of tree leaves in the fall in my compost. And if you think about how deep the roots go on a tree, you realize that tree is mining a lot of minerals out of the soil. The second principle is to start with finely chopped material. If you can get a leaf mulcher or some kind of machinery that will grind your feedstock before you put it into the compost, it's going to form compost much more quickly. When your compost is loaded with two or three inch diameter twigs, these really aren't going to break down. Remember that your compost is made of living microorganisms that are breaking down all that organic matter. All living things need water and it's important to keep your compost moist. Not too moist, you don't want to drown them, but you do want enough water to help them maintain their metabolic potential. If you squeeze a handful of compost, you can use a glove if you're questioning what's growing in there, but if you squeeze a handful of that compost and water drips out of it, it's probably too wet. If you feel it and it's cool and moist, This is the way you want it. And just like all living things need water, all living things need air. The beneficial bacteria and fungi that you want to see the most of in your compost will do best when they are well aerated. Now, I've seen a lot of composting facilities that utilize anaerobic fermentations, and these will produce compost And it's not going to hurt your soil, but it's going to lack the beneficial fungi that really accelerate nutrient cycling and support plant growth in the way that will make your garden thrive. So those four principles, starting with good quality organic matter, starting with small sizes, keeping your compost moist and keeping it well aerated, will really get you over the hump and on the way to a good compost. Now, there's a fifth principle that's been very well studied that deals with what we call your carbon to nitrogen ratios. And this is where your compost experts will really become advocates of a particular recipe, so to speak, because they're trying to balance the carbon and nitrogen that goes into your compost. So if you've ever heard somebody tell you that you want to use a third manure, a third grass clippings, and a third uh, dry leaves or straw in your compost, this is based on the idea of having a carbon to nitrogen ratio, and often we recommend that be somewhere between 25 to 30 parts of carbon to one part nitrogen. You can find tables that various universities have put together that show the carbon-nitrogen content of different sources of organic matter. And just as a ballpark umbrella figure here, I'm going to tell you that manures of different types tend to have carbon-nitrogen ratios right around 14 or 15 to 1, whereas when you get into very woody materials like sawdust, now you're talking 
hundreds of parts carbon to one part nitrogen. Basically, the woodier your material is, the more carbon-rich it's going to be. The microbes in your compost are going to start breaking down that carbon. They're going to start absorbing nitrogen from the atmosphere to carry out these reactions. You get lots and lots of nitrogen-fixing microbes within a compost batch. Remarkably, at the end of the composting process, you'll have a carbon-to-nitrogen ratio somewhere down around 10 to 1. And this is one reason why your really woody materials take so much longer to form compost. You simply have a lot more carbon to break down. Now, even though there's been a lot of research on this concept of carbon to nitrogen ratios, and a lot of studies have been carried out that point to this ideal of 24 to 30 to 1 as a target for carbon nitrogen ratios at the beginning of your composting process, Recent research by Dr. David Johnson has challenged these assumptions with his Johnson Soup bioreactor, showing that with only leaves as feedstock, he's been able to produce a fantastic compost. His process is slower than some, which may explain the difference in the nitrogen ratios needed. But his end product consistently contains very diverse living food webs that are rich in fungi and work well to support plant growth. So it may be that the story is not over in terms of what the optimal carbon-nitrogen ratios are for making compost. Now, in my opinion, this food web value of the compost is really one of the widely overlooked features of a good compost. We look at the importance of adding organic matter to our soil, but too often we ignore the need to add living organic matter, actual biology, to our soil. And if you make your compost right, you will be doing this in a way that will profoundly influence your plant's ability to grow, to resist stress, and to produce high-quality, nutrient-dense food. I hope you've enjoyed today's discussion. This is part of a series that is being sponsored by Western SARE. So the details of the project associated with this funding are going to be down in the show notes. I'll also include some links to compost-related information, such as a video on how to make your own Johnson Sioux composting bioreactor and tables showing you the carbon-to-nitrogen ratios of popular compost feedstocks. Please join me next time for a focus on your health and on taming those holiday cravings. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. You can subscribe to our podcast at endophyte.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.